Hello and welcome to the Dogs of the Law Street podcast. Today we'll be discussing inflation and the present ramifications of it in the United States. But first off, a word on where we've been. Many of us have been caught up in school stuff and it's been nearly a year since our last episode. For that, we apologize, but we post new articles more frequently on our blog, dogsofdalawstreet.medium.com. So if you're itching to get the newest takes on finance and economics, go ahead over there. Without further ado, let's get started. Now, you may be wondering, and you may have been hearing all about inflation in the news quite recently. So you may be thinking, what is inflation and how does it affect you? And this episode will answer all of your questions regarding inflation. Starting off, what exactly is inflation? Simply put, inflation is the gradual or sometimes not so gradual, and we'll get into that later, increase in the prices of goods and services caused by a decrease in the buying power of currency. Let's say I bought a house in the year 1990 for $200,000. Now, that same house would be around $400,000 due to the effects of inflation. There are right. three types and, of and inflation. Then, and then there's another thing as well, right? So asset prices increase on the basis of inflation and actual asset appreciation, right? So we need to draw a distinction between um, what the returns of an asset are and how much of those returns are offsetted by inflation. Um, and I think that's why it's such an important concept in finance to understand, because if you're working in the investment industry, I think um, I think one of the biggest things you need to comprehend are what the true returns of the investment are. Uh, so that's why there are measures of inflation in place um, in the macroeconomic concept. And there's also measures of inflation in place for the sake of the market. So uh, if you've ever heard of benchmarking, right, that really is just inflation adjusted returns. So um, when a mutual fund manager beats the S&P 500 by five basis points, that's saying that they're beating sort of the inflation of the natural markets by by five percent or so. Right. Um, and so within the housing market, it's a macroeconomic phenomenon. Uh, so we consider inflation a very big deal in asset appreciation for it. So if um, if inflation or, or the or the cost of currency, let's say, has increased by five uh, percent a year and your house has increased by 12 percent a year uh, in price, then the actual appreciation of your of your assets value would end up being, well, you know, just 7 percent. Right. So um, I think the, the distinction that. That, that inflation really makes in the investment industry is sort of a sense of benchmarking your returns. And I think that's the concept that we're really covering because inflation as a macroeconomic phenomenon is very uh, politically driven and, and it's it's not necessarily as simple to cover as inflation in the sense of your personal investments. Um, so I'd say you want to think about it as in the same way that someone benchmarks their returns against the index that they're investing in, right? Um, so yeah, that's, that's just what my overview of inflation is in, in the context of the investment industry. Um, right. but yeah, Raghav, I'll let you continue. So, um, there are three types of inflation and each are, can be caused by various factors. So, um, number one, uh, it's called demand pull inflation. So that basically happens when there, there's more money available for people to spend. So basically people are getting richer and um just there's more money in the system therefore because there's more money in the system the price of goods being sold is raised <clears throat> now the causes of this uh sometimes it can be tax breaks uh tax breaks lead to more disposable income which can lead to future price increases and 
another one is a fall in interest rates, which may lead to more people being able to take out loans. And if more people can take out loans, have money readily available, then companies can sense that and uh, decide to raise the prices of their goods. Now, the second right, type yeah. of inflation is cost push inflation. Now, this wait, is wait, more let's, on let's the cover. Let's go back and cover demand pull inflation. Right. So that one requires a little bit more nuance to understand. And um, since you did say that we want to tie it back into current events, let's uh, let's make sure we can do that. So um, we did have tax breaks and we had a fall in interest rates and we also had governmental stimulus. So that's entitlement spending. Right. That's that's another one factor that you have to cover. So um, interest rates. Right. And, and then for, from the from the end of the government, the two things that they can do is either they can cut the, the household tax expenditure or they can increase the amount of household income through entitlements. This doesn't actually contribute to an addition in GDP, though. That's something that we have to realize, right, because it's not increasing production. But it does increase household wealth. So what are the what do you expect to happen in that situation, Raghav? I'll let you break that down a little bit. Um, but the way I see it is that the the number has increased, but the total amount of stuff in the circle has not increased, right? Exactly. So so what does that what does that change? I mean, the number is just larger now. That's that's the only right, difference, right. right? And that's that's essentially what inflation is because we while we haven't seen any sort of um sort of rapid productive advances in in the rate of nearly matching the rate of inflation let's say um we have seen an increase in prices so um so i, th I think the biggest concern that people have right now is that we're at eight percent unemployment right or seven percent unemployment last i checked and at the same time prices are increasing the stock market is increasing um and and, and the market caps of you know large tech companies are increasing so so what are the fundamental changes that are driving this? And and when you look at it, it seems like there's not really enough of an increase in productive capacity to uh, to shift long run uh, aggregate supply enough to the right, right? Like LRAS is is the concept that's used in macroeconomics, long run aggregate supply, and um, we we just aren't seeing any shifts in our productive potential is is really the concern. Um, Whereas other countries such as China, and, and I think this is delving more into international economics, right? But other countries such as China, Saudi Arabia, um, you know, other developing nations that have recovered from COVID faster, they've seen their supply increase. But the, and, and so what the U.S. has done in order to meet this is they've increased the, the, the buying capacity of their citizens is what I'm trying to say, right? So, um, right. so China's increased its productive capacity. The United States has increased its capacity to buy. They haven't actually increased enough of their capacity to produce. So, um, so I think what we're seeing, if we're looking at it as a global circle, let's say, right, then um, the total amount of stuff is somewhat, well, decreased from the United States end because of high unemployment and, and enough people not coming into work. Um, but the total amount of stuff in the world is, let's say, around the same. Let's say that we've recovered entirely from the pandemic and the amount of stuff being produced is the same. But now we're having issues on the demand side of things. So, um, so there's a lot of household income to go, and uh, and other economies realizing this, China and Korea and and other producers, they've they've been able to leverage that to raise prices, right? And and obviously that's going to have exactly. a trickle down effect on our on our producers because we buy from China as well uh, to produce, right? To to make finished goods, let's say, or to um, I mean, I, I know Apple, right? Like, let's, let's just use them as a primary example. They uh, they assemble their iPhones in China, right? But it's like designed by Apple in California and sold in the United States and, and all over the world in mostly developing countries or not developing countries, developed countries. Um, and, and all of the resources are actually bought from developing countries. 
So that's why we've seen the prices of GPUs and, and CPUs and, uh, and a chip shortage. All of those things can almost be attributed entirely to this phenomenon, I think. Um, because there's no other reason boats would be clogging up the waterways, right? I mean, mm-hmm. COVID, COVID lockdowns are one thing and, and they, they've had this sort of trickle down effect. But, um, but I think that would be an oversimplification. So I'll let you continue on that end though. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, demand pull inflation, uh, yeah, demand pull inflation can be simplified. Like, you know, you vocalized on it pretty nicely, but it can be simplified by saying there's more money in the system, but the same amount of goods to buy. So mm-hmm. it's a simple problem of supply and demand when the demand is high, but the supply stays the same, the prices will increase, right? So that's one type of inflation. Uh, the next type of inflation is cost push inflation, which is really more of a problem on the producer side, which gets pushed to the consumer side. So this is when operating costs and uh, cost of goods sold for businesses rise. Um, therefore, you know, to stay in business and to keep these costs level, the price of goods they sold, they sell is so I actually covered that, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. So that's also an international phenomenon, right? Where where the developing countries are now able to raise prices on on U.S. producers, um, and and honestly, a lot of that's just happening because they're also recovering. Um, they're just in a different, they're taking a different method towards it. Uh, we're experiencing what may be called stagflation. So um, we're mm-hmm. we're seeing an increase in prices, but no increase in productive capacity whatsoever. And most of these other countries are experiencing true inflation where, you know, they're increasing productive capacity because there's enough demand in the United States, because there's stimulus money, because there's low interest rates, because there are tax breaks. Um, so there's enough household wealth in the United States, uh, but there isn't enough of a, of a productive potential. And so we're kind of um, the way I like to think about it is that like we're kind of on our last wheels in the sense of in the sense of our uh, hegemony or, or dominance on the economic markets. Uh I don't want to. I don't want to say that this is like marking some sort of end for the U.S. Uh, for the U.S. as a global superpower or some some something controversial on that on that end. But what I do think is that this weakens our our socioeconomic stance and our uh, and our global political stance as being one of the most powerful countries in the world because of our dependency that's so vulnerably shown here. Right. So um, yeah, and. Um... The third type of third and final most common type of inflation is just caused by government policy. You know, government stimulates the economy by printing more money or taking on debt. And this is pretty simple. There's more notes in circulation. Therefore, the value of the note goes down, which pushes up prices. I think the example uh, I always like to use here is that the the U.S. dollar always says uh, this note is legal tender for all debts, public and private. Right. So um, I think what they're trying to say with that is... We have a lot more debt, <laughs> so we need more notes, and we have more notes. So what's that going to happen? I mean, you know, it's 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 very simple. It's going to be devaluation because there's not enough stuff being made to meet the the money supply. Actually, right? I mean, there there is an actual concept called the money supply. You can go and look at what the M1 money supply was at when stimulus started. Right now, I think it seems to be a lot lower than it was before. Um, but but if you look at the money supply, you can see how how the multiplier effect has sort of percolated its way down the economy and how the, how the real inflation is starting to show up now uh, rather than when, when the money supply was first um, first increased, right, for the, sen- for the sake of stimulus. Um, so you can look at this at the St. Louis Fed website, uh, M1 money supply, and, and I think you can see M2 and M3 as well. Uh, but basically, 
I could break down the concept of money supply, but I feel like that would be a little bit irrelevant in in just the context of inflation and and investment spending. So I'll let you continue, though. Um, yeah. So I wanted to touch on, you know, why is inflation bad? Because um, if everything like if everything increased at a constant rate, like uh, the money supply increased at a constant rate, prices increased at a constant rate, wages increased at a constant rate theoretically everything would be the same it's just higher prices but the problem is that uh they don't increase at a the same rate prices can increase more than wages increase which obviously is bad because then you are able to buy less things and also it inflation erodes away savings like it completely wipes it out so in 1941 in Hungary, this really extreme example of hyperinflation, as economists like to call it, at one point, the inflation rate was so bad, it was 150,000% each day. So Right. So this is like in 1941. And, and I think there, it, it's important to bring in some context here. Historical situations are really what cause, uh, cause these like paradigm shifts in currency. So um, I think a similar thing was happening in Germany after World War II. I think that's actually the more classic example of hyperinflation used. And then Zimbabwe, when, when a, a civic revolt happens. Um, I remember reading in an economics textbook, I think it was about, let me see, Paraguay. Paraguay? Peru? A country in South America. Um, and I was reading it in the in the classic macroeconomics textbook by uh, George Mankiw. Um and basically what happened was that there's a teacher, and, and this is like a, a good story, I guess. There's a teacher who would get his paycheck at the beginning of the day, and he would have to go and convert it to the United States dollar um, basically as soon as he got his paycheck. Because everyone would get their paycheck at the same time because systematized, socialized government. Uh, so he would have to go and convert the, the paycheck to the United States dollar immediately because it was a lot more stable compared to um, compared to the – uh, whatever the currency the in that local country currency, was. I know yeah. it wasn't the Bolivar. So um, I'm not talking about Venezuela, even though they're also experiencing hyperinflation. Um, so he'd have to go and convert his currency to the United States dollar, and then he would be able to buy rice. And, and if he waited too long, then the amount of rice that he could buy would basically half like every hour or something like that. So, right. um, so yeah, so, it yeah, was a, just a, a, a... There's a really crazy example where there would be a jelly bean on one day, and you could get a jelly bean for this price and in two days the jelly bean would be the price of a house on monday so that's that's to the level it happens that is really extreme and we're unlikely to see that um anytime soon you know that happens due to unstable governmental situations unstable social social situations you know extreme supply shocks so um and I That's think part a, of the reason we may be seeing alternative asset bubbles such as in cryptocurrency or non-fungible tokens is because of a sort of uh, lost reliance on the United States dollar. Um, right. That's one of the main reasons why why crypto investors invest in crypto, right? Like the the primary rationale is like, oh, what if the fiat dollar breaks? So I think that's a conversation worth having as well regarding inflation because cryptocurrencies are, as the name states, currencies. People don't use them as that. They use them as investment vehicles nowadays. So I was wondering, what was your take on that? Like, are they a good safe bet against inflation? Like, are they like gold? Um, um, they will have to be 
more widely used as currencies to be a safe bet because a lot of these um a lot of these cryptocurrencies are very speculative like i know bitcoin maybe ethereum some others are very safe but the large majority of them tend to be very uh, speculative very hyped up and you know you invest some money in a cryptocurrency one day everything could be wiped out the next day so i really don't think most cryptocurrencies are a safe bet at all right now um so uh, i think it may be worth seeing cryptocurrencies as companies instead of currencies is that what you're saying yes that's what i'm saying so now let's transition over um what do you think are the present ramifications of inflation you know uh this new number that's been going around in the news lately i think it's like 6.023 percent right something like that so um i want to know like how that would affect you know your average consumer your average citizen and why they right. should be worried about it so so if you go by the average stock market return uh yearly it's like around 12 15 percent sometimes 10 percent looking at where you go but it, by any metric six percent inflation is just a lot it's going to damage returns it's going to damage your cost of capital um i don't think it's good for the long-term uh for the long-term economy in any in any context because there's no way businesses can keep up with that growth rate right of the, the growth rate of the currency itself um, so if that keeps on happening, I feel like the U.S. dollar would be destabilized in the sense of its reliability and, and its stability in, in the business world. Um, the way it's supposed to inflate is is in the same uh, same form or fashion, basically, as as the economy does, right? So if if GDP growth is two percent, then then you know the currency growth should be two percent, and um, it should it should bear some sort of resemblance to to the unemployment rate as well, because that's really what economists use to determine productive capacity, and we're we're just not meeting that right now. Right. So what we've seen is like wages are increasing at a capacity that we can't handle. Like McDonald's is paying $25 per hour, which is two or three times the minimum wage. Um, so I think I think it's a very interesting scenario. I mean, what are your comments on it? I'd like to hear. So, yeah, um, I feel like because um, there's a labor shortage, you know, uh, people are paying uh, McDonald's is paying people, you know, $25 an hour. And I really think you know, that's an issue with the federal government, you know, because the federal government is paying people money to, you know, just sit, sit at home as a result of this, uh, like, stimulus bill and all that. But um, I think that really gets into the problem of, you know, if the federal government is paying you more than some of these businesses, that's a problem with the businesses. And if the federal government pays you more so that you can, you know, have a livable wage that's a problem with the market and i really think you know it's been an employee or like a sort of uh yeah employee driven uh economy from here because you know the employees are making the demands like you know people employees i recently heard on a radio segment employees were asking for um you know retail employees were asking for the day uh on thanksgiving off and for all the stores to be closed or they wouldn't work the next day so you know it's becoming a more employee driven economy is what i'm what my point is okay employee driven yeah i think uh another thing it's very asset driven right at least at least now in the stock market i feel like a lot of um 
a lot of commodity based and real estate based businesses will see a little bit of improvement because just their asset values um, on the book, right? Like the book value is what the accountants would call it, um, is is increasing. So um, I think one of the companies that that I uh, did due diligence on called Franchise Group, they increased by like 30% in just the past month alone. Um, well, because A is probably a value stock, uh, and that's like the sort of fundamental that I was using for it. Um, but also because they're very asset heavy. Um, so their, their price to book ratio is probably one of the better ones. They have a high dividend yield. Um, and I think during times of inflation, those are the kinds of companies that will, that'll succeed in terms of, in terms of, uh, personal investments. Um, if we're saying employee driven economy, I think it would be employee driven in the sense that you will have high turnover rates because, um, employees would be more willing to leave because a newer job would pay them more, right? Um, because their old job, they, they don't have any incentive to just like raise their wages all of a sudden. Um, and the reason that they don't do this, even though we have supposedly efficient markets is, um, and I was reading about this in Richard Taylor's behavioral economics book called Nudge. It's because of a status quo bias or, or, um, basically just saying, ah, what the heck, right? So it's like the, the idea that people just don't, they'll just stick to the default, right? Um, but what we're seeing now is because new jobs are offering so much more money and, and information is more public. People are more willing to change jobs and move and, and, um, you know, relocate because of remote work. Um, they're able to do that a lot more. So what we're seeing is like investment bankers getting $200,000 bonuses or private equity associates getting $200,000 bonuses. Uh, software engineers getting, you know, $400,000 jobs for like a uh, very mid-level position. Um, and that's just because mm. it's gotten a lot more expensive to live nowadays. And, and a lot of people who are stuck on their yeah. old jobs. They're probably going to be struggling a lot more, I think. Right. So, um, uh, I wanted to ask the also ask the question: Do you think the, you know, average everyday consumer, everyday citizen, should be worried about rising inflation? Of course, yeah. I mean, it's always worth educating yourself on a concept that's that so broadly applies, right? Um, like I mentioned, it. it you know, like we just mentioned five seconds ago, we were talking about how it affects wages. Um, so I think it's a concept that's important for every citizen to understand if they want to, if they want to get, uh, financially literate, if they want to understand how they can save money in an optimal way. Um, like you mentioned earlier, the value of savings is depreciating because the value of currency is, is, uh, is being devalued every single day. So, um, you know, what type of company should you invest in in order to hedge against this, right? Like if you're seeing, uh, mm -hmm. such an increase in, in the price of assets and so many safe value stocks out there, maybe now would be a good time to lateral away from, from tech companies who now have to overpay their employees. Um, so you see, so you see the connections, yeah. how I'm drawing here, right? Um, yeah. it's, it's important to, it's important to consider the macroeconomic factors if you ever want to become financially literate. I think, um, that's one of the most overlooked things. Um, when people just read, read books like Rich Dad, Poor Dad or Intelligent Investor, I think what they, miss out on is this broader vision. And that's not to say my ideology is correct, by the way, right? I mean, there's going to be the prominence of different ideologies at different times in the markets. But I just think that I, I'm, I was able to reason out pretty well uh, how certain things could be happening. And I'm not saying this is the why, but I'm saying it's a potential cause. And I feel like it's it's something worth considering if I, if I see some correlation there. Um, it's also entirely possible I have the same heuristic bias that Everybody else does. Like they think, oh, I'm better at beating the market because of X, Y, Z. And I'm sure some crypto investor is gonna is gonna beat a, a financially literate person at, at you know having their wealth secure. Um, but if you go by maybe the risk the risk adjusted return metric and, and you're very and you're very calculative, 
I think you should be able to preserve your capital at the very least if you have a solid economics understanding. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Dogs of Dollar Street podcast. We hope that was an informative uh, discussion on inflation and really helped you understand um, the scope of the problem in today's economy. Once again, check out our blog for uh, more takes on finance and economics. And as always, see you later. Bye-bye.